Welcome to FYI, the four-year innovation podcast. This show offers an intellectual discussion on technologically enabled disruption, because investing in innovation starts with understanding it. To learn more, visit arc-invest.com. Arc Invest is a registered investment advisor focused on investing in disruptive innovation. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. It does not constitute either explicitly or implicitly any provision of services or products by Arc. All statements made regarding companies or securities are strictly beliefs and points of view held by Arc or podcast guests and are not endorsements or recommendations by Arc to buy, sell, or hold any security. Clients of Arc Investment Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to FYI, Arc's Four Year Innovation Podcast. Today, we're super happy to welcome Dan and Cyrus to the show, the co-founders of Humata. Uh, thanks for joining us today, guys. Thanks for having us, Frank. Happy to be here. I think it'd be uh, awesome uh, to start off just to, to hear about your backgrounds and how you came to start Humata. Yeah, I can start. Um, I'm Cyrus Kejvandi. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Humata. Background, I founded several companies before. Uh, one was in the crypto space. Another uh, was a Y Combinator-backed company called DeNovo, which uh, was based on uh, cellular reprogramming research I did at Stanford that's aiming towards a cure, potential cure for hair loss that's made a lot of progress. Now I'm working with Dan full-time on Humata. And before we dive in there, I'll turn it over to Dan. Yeah, so I've been in software for about 10 years. I started my career doing some open source work with Angular 2. And then after that, I joined a drone company, which I started about person 15, and they scaled to about 200 people now. And then I started my own company in AI called Labelbox. It's a tool for supervised machine learning, labeling and annotating uh, training data. And that company grew, is about 150 people now, a little over a billion dollars in valuation. Then I started, I met Cyrus about five years ago, and we started Humata in uh, November. Right. And originally, it was going back to solve a personal problem. When I was a researcher at Stanford as an undergraduate, it was incredibly difficult to stay on top of the most advanced um, scientific journals and publications every day. Uh, not just for myself, but I've noticed across many different grad students, uh, postdocs, and even PIs. And then the fascinating thing is like, I saw that AI, along with Dan, was approaching expert level proficiency in reading and writing. So decided to combine the two to effectively be a way to get faster summaries and ask questions using natural language prompts with your documents. So effectively, we pioneered the chat with your document space to be able to ultimately reach the goal of accelerating scientific discovery. And the big problem that we notice even before building it out is that on its own, AI has a truthfulness problem. It has a really high propensity to hallucinate. So in the earliest version of Umata, which you see today, you'll have a side-by-side -side comparison with your document or series of documents along with a highlighted reference and citation. So you can fact check it on the spot and then becomes you, the user, individual, that is the ultimate arbiter of truth where you get to decide and fact check on the spot so you can effectively guarantee correctness for yourself um, where the answer is contextually based. 
We launched it. Uh, our earliest users were specifically academic researchers back um, in February of 2023, and it went uh, incredibly viral. And now we have uh, a plethora of different uh, industries, use cases, and pilots reaching out to us that run the gamut from like attorneys to uh, R&D groups to uh, customer call support centers. So I'm Brett Winton, Chief Futurist at ARC. Uh, so the it seems like the the differentiating factor for you is, is actually being able to get the answer, but then also trace back to... Um, the document itself so that you have kind of can validate that there's not a hallucination embedded in the answer effectively or a confabulation as they might say. Does that lend itself to a certain set of use cases where people are really um, like catching on to using the the product? Well, fundamentally, anytime you're making an important decision, you want to make sure that the important decision is based on something true. And so you want to be able to fact check the data behind that decision before before making it. Got it. So what are some like tangible examples of how, how people are using? Give me a, something meaty. Well, I would say like the other core differentiator is like the capability to dramatically expand uh, the context window. Like you can ask questions across many different documents at the same time, right? Um, th this, this for us was personally very important and it was really important for research teams. And now we're seeing like um, many different examples come about, uh, especially we started with the legal space in one example, right? So we're currently working on something called Ask Every Page, which actually is part of our push for even deeper quality, right? And we find this uh, is uh, particularly important for attorneys that are reaching out. Um, some examples would be, you know, uh, for instance, like medical chronologies or chapter seven bankruptcies, right? What is a medical chronology? Like you basically have a plaintiff or a defense firm that gets a personal injury case and they both need to create a timeline from the plaintiff's uh, claimed injuries and they have all these documents. And so with Ask Every Page, you uh, have this capability to get the answer at very, very thoroughly where in most scenarios, just connecting the LM would immediately drop that context. And those could be very, very important pieces of information. And I'll, I'll add two more examples of how other teams are using Humata. So one is for onboarding, for challenging processes. We have a number of oil and gas companies that are basically sent out onto the field. They need to train about 2,000 people to go respond to different incidents. And when they get to the field, they have to make a decision based on 5,000 documents of what to do. And then when they make the decision, they have to reference why they're making that specific decision. So you can easily see how getting an answer that's referenced then supports making a better decision, getting people trained faster, getting them out into the field faster. And then the other example that we're seeing a lot of teams beyond lawyers, which Cyrus already talked about, is um, teams that are selling complex products. If you have 100 different products that have a whole bunch of different SKUs, different products assert to different things, you want to be able to give customers the right information. And then you also want to be able to reference to, to wherever that documentation for that product is. I'm curious, like maybe um, on the technical side, how you solve this context window problem. Like my understanding in Cyrus, how you kind of described it is, you know, a model will have a certain context window. Like let's say 
50 pages or 300 pages of, of tokens or, or words that it can fit into the context window. And then once you go beyond that, it kind of forgets things. Um, how do you actually enable being able to search through thousands of pages of documents? Yeah, so the decision that we have to make, which is important, is what content do we include in the context? And that decision actually requires a certain amount of intelligence. So when we first receive the documents, we create various artifacts that we can then use in the decision process. And in that decision, we basically have an agent that's looking at the question itself. Let's say a user is asking for a summary. Well, then we're going to start looking at the summaries that we've generated of the files. If the user is asking for a compare and contrast between two different documents, we would pull some information from one document, some information from another, and then we would construct the prompt in a way that works for that. If they're asking about a specific extraction or if they're asking for a list, then we have to build it in that way. So depending on the question, we've built an agent and we have you know, a small data set that we're basically using to train it to figure out how to answer different questions in particular ways. It sounds like a very human process. Like I, there's certain documents that we have at Arc that I have a general understanding of. And depending on what question I'm trying to solve, I know where to go look and, and pull it into my actual context window um, kind of on the fly. And there's some that I just have memorized. And so it's very easy for me to recall it. And it sounds like your agent is basically kind of doing that function that we all kind of implicitly do day to day in our heads, but it's extending it massively beyond what anybody could really fit in their head. Yes. And the thing that I'd add on to that is AI models have just passed the capacity to reach expert level reading and writing. So tasks like that, where, you know, like, oh, I have this question, let me go find the relevant text for that. That is now a task that computers can do. And because computers can do that tasks, a lot of these research knowledge-based questions can be fully streamlined. Yeah. And that underscores like some of the biggest problems that we notice that agents will more and more increasingly have is that they're going to struggle to effectively like find um, the reason over increasingly bigger and bigger context windows when performing any kind of like downstream task for say like a end work product, right? So there's a big problem in solving the difficulty in retrieving the information and using the correct information from long input. And the thing with language models today is that they, they tend to have an easier time pulling that info um, generally at the very start of the input context. But as we've noticed, when people are starting to put more and more uh, documents, it, you know, generally what you'll see is they'll have degraded performance. And so that's an active area of research that we're really focused on because we think that's where it'll make the biggest impact for enterprises. How do you even, it, it seems like the space is moving so quickly and the capabilities are increasing so quickly. What is your kind of like ability, like how do you guide your resources and development uh, and thinking about kind of like providing a stable product for commercialization versus improving the product under the hood? What does that even look like from a decision and resourcing perspective inside a startup in such a fast moving space? So we're, we're having a lot of fun building in the space right now, and there's a lot going on. Predominantly, there's a few things to highlight. The primary one is we're building for our customers. 
So we're listening to what they're telling us. We're hearing their problems. And then we're building for those problems. What that does is that gives us deeper and deeper insight into what the core problem is and where we're getting hung up. What are the limitations of the technology and how is it being applied to a specific problem space? And what is uh, you know a problem with that? Or wh why doesn't it work? Or why doesn't it work very well? So that's predominantly our main means of navigation. And then I'll say also, it's like some of the other parts that we're, we're adding into our equation is we're just seeing how the world is changing. And I think like the, the big trend that is happening is that we're moving towards AGI where computers are able to accomplish more and more and potentially at some point most of the economically valuable tasks. And how does that happen? And what does that look like when that does happen? And then supporting that in a way where it supports flourishing, because we have a lot of hard problems as a humanity that we're faced against. And looking at how that all plays out and how we can support it is, is part of what we want to do. It's, it's part of why we're doing what we're doing. seems like the way I think about your product to some degree, and this is true of all AI products, where imagine a very expert sales person, technical salesperson, will be very familiar with the documents. They'll know what skew to point someone towards uh, because they've, you know, they've been through it all. Whereas like a new salesperson will come in and the, the customer will ask a question, the person will kind of flounder or give the customer the wrong advice. Uh, and so this is a way to essentially up-level kind of like the below average or novice salesperson. Uh, and, and so it seems like it's, it's as long as you have like a good developed set of documents behind kind of the, the product. So it seems like your natural kind of set of customers is potentially people that, that are more um, tenured organizations where they have a lot of documents in place and they're trying to onboard people. Uh, and yet you're a startup. So, you, so that's kind of a hard uh, set of people to get to. Is that something you've experienced? Like, how do you convince people to to take you on board? Like, an oil and gas company is not out there being like, "I need the newest technology." So, how how do you get in front of those clients? Actually, Brett, that's a that's a great point because that's some of our earliest enterprise pilots that came in organically via inbound. So, on a broad level, it's basically it come what it comes down to is is knowledge transfer, and they're seeing how AI can augment and accelerate knowledge transfer from one department to another or one generation of workers with extremely deep expertise and how AI could augment that knowledge transfer to newer recruits. And specifically for that major oil and gas company in Europe, they came to us with a task at hand saying, hey, look, we're rapidly expanding. Our, our workforce is retiring. And with it, they're, they're taking away this valuable skill set and domain knowledge and expertise that takes many years to cultivate and refine. And they literally have a 12,000-page manual, which internally they refer to as the Bible. <laughs> and they're like, well, whenever there's a mission-critical gas leak in a, in, a, in a commercial or residential area, they have millions of, of clients, uh, they have to lug around all these separate manuals with standard operating procedures and all these protocols, which are really tedious. And they're like, well, 
Now we can use Humata where anyone can just ask a question in natural language and get an answer and then fact check it with a side-by-side highlighted uh, portion and, and reference. And it's something where the knowledge worker uh, the, the more experienced um, uh, professional can be there on the spot, like saying, yeah, that's right. That is right. That's what you do when you have this specific residential gas leak. So we're seeing it play out right now. And it's not something we marketed. In fact, again, when we launched, it was specifically to accelerate scientific discovery for academic researchers. But now we're seeing a plethora of different applications that we really didn't anticipate. And so one of those use cases is exactly what you mentioned, Brett, which is a knowledge engineering and knowledge transfer of domain, a specialized domain knowledge inside of an organism, inside of an organization, right before those people retire. So that's really valuable. And that's ultimately going to outlive that worker and empower that company to make better and faster decisions. And AI positively augments that learning process. And that's one example for deployed um, engineers for gas leaks. But I'm sure there's many other instances of this. And in fact, we do see it with highly technical sales teams, right? Where they're fumbling over the accuracy of response for a chemical reagent or a semiconductor sensor. And as opposed to like putting the client on hold and deprecating time to value, uh, they can use Humata to accelerate their response times and double check it, not triple check it with a colleague, especially if those colleagues are away. So the way I think about it, the way, the way or like just on a brutal economics perspective, it's like if you're the oil and gas company and you have these guys that want to retire, well, you have two options. You you basically go and be like, listen, we'll pay you like a king's ransom to stick on for another year because we're our workforce isn't ready yet. Or you have a software that allows that knowledge transfer to happen more quickly. So kind of in effect, there's like a real economic like use case of kind of like up leveling the novice sales force. So it's a closer proxy to your senior sales force. So you're not as vulnerable to to them kind of being like, well, I'm sick of it. I'm leaving unless you pay me, you know, a gazillion dollars. Well, here you have a mechanism by which kind of all of their encoded knowledge is transferable much less frictionfully. Uh, and so even from a um, kind of like economics of kind of like the demand for labor perspective, it's a way to not have to pay kind of like the power law um, wages to those like highest earning employees because you can you can bring everybody up to at least median level or past with this with the software. Yeah, and yes. it kind of harkens back to some of our earliest points of like accelerating learning and discovery. In this case, it's just knowledge transfer that doesn't happen. Uh, that uh, When it happens with AI, it's augmented, it's much faster, and it's stored, and it's hopefully not as uh, vulnerable to being lost. Yeah, if everyone in an organization can get the right information when they need it, the organization is going to make better decisions, and that's going to help everyone. How has um, the rapidly changing foundation model landscape accelerated or shifted your own roadmap? Like thinking about OpenAI's developer day, we were just talking about the limitations of context windows, and now GPT-4 has 128,000 token context windows. So how how have you guys been, as an AI startup, building on some of this technology? How, how has it surprised you? How has it changed what your approach? How has it 
commoditized anything you thought was going to take a long time to be accomplished? Yeah, I can, I can start and then I'll turn it over to Dan. So right at the onset of pushing out Humata as essentially like a chat GPT for all your documents, um, we gave ourselves uh, internally approximately like maybe 10 or 11 months before our launch date in February 2023, before uh, OpenAI would even uh, consider and maybe build out a rudimentary version of Upload Your Docs. So we're, we're thinking, uh, we've always been thinking uh, of the future and what we can do to enhance it in a durable way. And so chatting with all your documents with references is very important. For us, it's the first step to do something much bigger that's geared towards, um, you know, removing all the mundane and tedious tasks of completing everyday work products. To touch on your second question, I'll, I'll relay it over to Dan with respect to context windows. Yeah, so the space is evolving really quickly, and it's exciting to build within the space because every week there's more stuff coming out, and there's more new ideas, and there's more inventions. Predominantly, what we're seeing in the OpenAI Dev Day is that they have a deep focus on assistance, and also that they've released a new product with inside assistance called Retrieval. And what Retrieval does is it allows you to search through a limited knowledge base, which may be expanded in the future. And so for us, this is closer to where we are. And at the same time, we still have some space in what we're playing in. But predominantly what we see is that the landscape is moving more and more towards supporting the, uh, the, the basically the delivery of what people are working on. So we see that we see that that's what's happening, and we see that there's a lot of motion for that. And actually, for a while, we've been planning and developing products within that space. We're not ready to announce those yet, but uh, but there is a lot going on. Yeah, and within that space, there's a lot of avenues for very like a sharp specialization. And that's where a lot of the heavy engineering lift uh, and, and product lift uh, remains to be uh, fleshed out. seems to me it's kind of like, or at least the way I perceive uses of the open AI products within a lot of organizations, people are, have access to chat GPT. They're kind of playing with it. It's not like kind of like formally constructed in any way. And probably like the marginal startup is more likely to be like, hey, I'm going to like try to like roll my own here to make something that's useful for me. Um, whereas um, like the point of differentiation for you and, and other startups, like I, I, I both believe the narrative that OpenAI's develop, developer day like killed a thousand startups and it actually amplified the capabilities of a thousand startups at the same time. As in there's, you know, the, the increasing power of the underlying foundation model just makes kind of like the specialization and, and basically like packaging of what's capable with AI even um, more, you know, potentially productivity delivering to the end user. Uh, and, and so I think that there's a um, kind of the, what's crazy about the AI space generally is actually there's tons of organizations that could use products today and get a lot better today. They don't have to wait for like a two-year development time cycle. like. You know, in our use of Humata, it's very clear to me, like 
people could use this now and they could be much better, right? And, and so there's actually no reason not to like begin plugging in and using these tools to, you know, protect yourself against those, those like salespeople that are about to retire. Uh, and, and, and I imagine at the same time, there's, there's like a kind of like an, a seed of anxiety in your gut. It's like, okay, well, what's OpenAI going to do next? How do we continue to differentiate? Um, you know, what is your kind of like, how do you prepare for what's coming from OpenAI and Anthropic and all the other kind of foundation model providers within the context of your development pathway? Like, what's your North Star as you're uh, thinking your way forward? Yeah, we can anticipate, we, we can assign probabilities to what we think their next moves are. But like a chess match, we always try to make the best move possible with what we can see and what we can, and, and assuming that they'd make the best move for themselves as well. And the, the amazing thing that we notice every day is that there's such exciting problems to be working on. And we have some things uh, behind the curtain here that we're really excited to work on that we'd love to announce soon that we think take it in a different direction um, and more closely uh, towards you know, your end work product. And it builds upon what we already have established because the core thing that you need is the capability to chat with all your documents. How do you differentiate versus, imagine I'm an enterprise and I'm approaching the problem and I'm like, well, I have all these documents. Um, I know there's, I could upload them through Humata and begin to chat with them, but maybe I should be rolling my own and, and fine tune a large language model on my documents. And then, and then I have like an AI agent that just like acts as an agent of my enterprise. Is that like a valid comparison at all? And then what, what is the differentiation? Yeah. So practically what I, what will happen is that they will initially find some success with that delivery process. The agent will be, you know, set up, it'll start to get good answers and then they'll start to feel happy. But then that's maybe about 50% of the way. And then there's this other 50% of questions that are more refined and they're looking for things more in particular. And then that amount of work, you actually need to start building off specialized pieces of infrastructure. You need to start creating new types of things. You need to start looking at graphs and other parts of the documents. And it just becomes a bigger problem. So what that internal team will find is that they'll find that they find some success, but that it's an ongoing effort and they actually have to develop a whole new product with inside the company that has ongoing maintenance and repair. Right. And what I've experienced with numerous um, uh, client calls is that, you know, often they're using Humata right now because it's so easy to get started. And like certain departments and a bigger org love it because of its Zen-like simplicity and ability to just perform so intuitively. And in parallel, they have their own instance uh, that their dev team has built using APIs from OpenAI or in conjunction with Azure. And it's a more modular instance, but they're already doing that internal vendor comparison to an extent. And they're, they're just like, well, we, we just like Humata because it's there and you guys are moving at a rapid clip compared to what we can do internally. So we're noticing that. And I think like, you know, that, that, that is an area where we're speed, where we're able to ship things a lot 
faster and higher quality uh, is consistently uh, helping us win the day and uh, grab more market share. Seems like another contrast. It's basically like, imagine I've fine-tuned a model. So yay, I have my little corporate agent who I can talk to. Um, but then there's a modification in the documents that have run my org. Like the code of ethics gets changed. Well, okay. So then like I could train it on the new code of ethics, but then it has both in the training data. So it might answer wrong. So then I have to like roll back to the start and and retrain the model with the new code of ethics, right? And so it seems like there's a high kind of like cost to updating um, relative to um, your solution. Yeah, and actually that's a great point, Brett. That's that's some of the feedback I received from teams like trying to deploy internally using um, uh, Azure or some of their new products that are AI assisted there is like, oh God, we got to completely throw away our old model and retrain it because our HR department just updated our code of conduct or something like this. And, um, you know, with Humata, it's really intuitive. You can just click and delete a document very easily. And then it's no longer a part of that query or just move it into another folder. It's just so much, it's just so much more intuitive and easier for the entire org to use. So it's sort of like you can code and train, and that's a super heavy lift internally. And wouldn't your internal resources be better deployed elsewhere versus like no code, everyone could use it, super low barrier to entry, really fast, really cheap, really quick to scale with you, Humata. So that's kind of like the positioning that we're seeing play out right now. And it's going to, that delta is going to become even more cognizant for users as we expand the team, as we roll out some really big features directed towards quality uh, coming up. I think the um, the accessibility and ease of use and just being able to go self-serve and sign up on your website is also like a legitimate selling point where like I've been excited to see this Microsoft Copilot with business chat that can, you know, Arc already has all of our documents stored in SharePoint and we can just ask questions of it. Um, but, you know, they announced it at the beginning of the year and then they said it was going to be available in November. And then they told us we need to have 300 seats or more to actually get access to it. So it like my expectations keep getting, you know, like hit over the head with, you know, corporate Microsoft, whereas anybody can just sign up and start using Humata. Um, and when we signed up, you know, my first instinct was like, oh, I got to dump all my documents here. But then I thought of, you know, our, our CTO in the back of my head around data privacy and security and all these things. I'm sure that's a big topic you deal with your customers, um, how do you address those concerns and, and handle them on the platform? Well, it handles our own personal documents because we built it personally for ourselves. Everything is end-to-end encrypted and you know you own and control your data. You have the capability to delete it whenever you'd like. Uh, and we're nearly complete with our SOC 2 type 2 process. So we're, we've, we've taken a lot of best practices with respect to privacy by design first, and we baked it into the product since day one. And we're constantly improving and updating that every day. Also, the data is isolated per organization, and we don't train on organization data. So there's no chance of it being leaked into other organization instances. Yeah, so by default, unlike uh, ChatGPT or these other major LLMs, we do not train on your data by default. It stays private to you and or your org. And we we really listen and care about our community and our customers and what they tell us. Like for instance, uh, with our new team management features, you're now able to have the capability to designate admin access or member access and also segregate who has access to what. For instance, you can create 
an HR folder strictly for the HR department, a marketing folder strictly for that team, et cetera, with really tight role-based permissions. And we continue to integrate a lot of these ideas from our enterprise motion to give people the best and most uh, secure product out there. You know, one thing that occurs to me, or a general thesis that, that we have is, is that the cost of, of writing or, or, you know, encoding into language has fallen so substantially, you know, you can argue 10,000 fold, um, that there's actually going to be a lot more kind of writing and encoding of information in organizations as in like contracts are going to become much lengthier because, um, all of the corner cases are going to be, you're going to pay the same for lawyers. They're just going to do, be a lot more productive and all of the, you know, every single like ambiguous corner case is going to be chopped off. Uh, and so then it's kind of like, how does the human oversight of all of that encoded information occur? If I'm asking a question of the set of documents that runs my organization, and I get kind of, this is the answer, but then it traces back to the source. This is where the answer is derived. It could be that your product is useful also like inverted, where the person that's the human actor who's asking the question sees the answer that it produces and says, huh, I'm not sure that's how we want that document to appear. And then they're tracing back to exactly why that answer is coming and saying, oh, you know, our policy shouldn't actually be that. And so it gives them kind of like the the spur and catalyst to, to actually review the underlying docs and then maybe even modify and be like, we need to make this modification and then, you know, delete and upload the new revised version. And then the whole org gets access to that new revised version. And so as, as like a, a way that kind of all of the volume of, of writing that is going to be produced by organizations actually still has a human oversight element. It could be like a strange, almost like inverted way in which your product is used. Yeah. And I mean, listening to that, it brings to mind how important the truthfulness problem is, because as LLMs generate more and more data, we, we certainly want to be able to slice through it and see where the ground truth is and where that came from. It's super important. Maybe I'm just dreaming of other product use cases now, but I'm wondering if you have an, an API and a vision to make the ability to search your corporate documents that are stored on Shimada available anywhere. Like I was just thinking of, oh, it'd be nice if I could search our documents from Teams and a chatbot in Teams. Um, have you thought about both making the search available in more places and potentially like when thinking about updating documents, enabling not just reading, but also writing. Yeah, it's a good point. We've discussed APIs internally ourselves quite a bit. Well, we always thought that the breast of breed solution would essentially just be right and readily available out of the box where you didn't have to develop an API for a specific persona, i.e. the developer uh, class inside your company where everyone should just be able to use it right away and get the value within, with immediate, um, basically immediate time to value. With writing, um, it's, in, that's, it's interesting you mentioned that. I use it to write right now. I, I use the expert version and I give it some prompts and I ask it questions that are outside of the context of uh, the PDF at times just because I'm already in there uh, working on several documents. That's not our intended use case, but that's certainly something you can pursue, uh, sort of like jailbreaking Humata. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I feel that um, more integrations into more services where data is already stored is a kind of a clear next step for us. 
Yeah, I, I really like the idea of being of, of of just being able to ask a general question um, and and knowing that you, you're not necessarily searching for a specific document and an answer from a specific document, but that the model can respond with the embedded knowledge of your organization as kind of the full context, um, even if it's not you know referencing a specific document. Yeah, and I, I feel like the the point that that surfaces is also important, which is that. People are responding from their domain expertise and from the from the knowledge of their from themselves and also their organization. And so, as LLMs become more productionized, there will be more and more ways for them to connect with our personal understanding and our personal knowledge, and that will generate even more fine-tuned answers to who someone is individually. Once you have a customer signed, is how do you track? Um, kind of like, what's the KPI for that customer? Is it number of documents uploaded? Is it queries answered? Is it, um, I mean, number of seats obviously matters, but also like at the individual seat level, like how do you think about like what behavior you want to see from customers to indicate you're succeeding? We try to define criteria of success before a pilot uh, starts. Although one thing that we really closely look at is engagement, like uh, just beyond like number of documents uploaded, like, okay, or how many questions are they asking? How often? And are they getting the answers to completion? What's the quality of the answers? So it's something that we look at really closely because that's where a lot of the hard work uh, exists and remains uh, to be fleshed out or you know, making Humata even better. So that that's where we really look at it. Like, you know, like we were just uh, like slowly onboarding um, a company that does a ton of 10K uh, analysis. And we see like, okay, which department, which person, which persona is asking a lot of questions. And that's usually a sign that it's uh, very beneficial uh, for them. The, the other thing I'll add is we're working on a tool set for organizations to look through this information themselves. They can see, okay, you know, who in my organization is using Humata? What knowledge is getting surfaced quite a bit? What questions are they asking? And also I want to know what questions are they asking that they aren't getting their answers to? And then I want to be able to provide answers to those questions so that more and more people in my organization are able to receive the knowledge that they're, that they're looking for. So th that's a tool set that we're also developing. Yeah, it seems like sometimes like organization documents are, call it like the, the, the language in the document itself is ambiguous. And so kind of often, you know, you ask, a, you know, an officer, your, your chief count, your counsel or your, or your chief compliance officer, you're like, what am I supposed to do here? And actually within the document that that person's supposed to work off of, it's kind of like a gray area. And so they make a judgment call, um, like using the tool to surface where actually this is not like very well defined within our org is could be a way to like foreclose risk within the organization itself and like make processes actually yeah. standardized across depend. So there's no longer kind of room for, oh, this person interprets it this way. And then another person, the same role interprets it a different way. Yes. And the one thing that I'll add on, which is just a cool technical thing, is since LLMs actually have a conceptual understanding of all these conversations, 
a lot of this type of alerting can also be automated where, hey, we're seeing some conflict or division around this certain policy around this section, and we can surface that to a decision maker, and then they can dive in and resolve the issue. This is pretty cool. So yeah, it actually, that, that touches on the point where it can give actually like predictive uh, analysis on what you could do to adjust your own internal processes or knowledge base, not just monitoring what are the most frequently asked questions or engineering very narrowly defined answers to them. It's, it's, it's that. Yeah, it seems like a very interesting data set for an organization to have access to of like, what, what are my employees actually asking questions about and where, where are we satisfying their needs and where are they not? And you, like the simplest version is creating like a user-generated FAQ of like the most commonly asked questions, but then you can also use those questions to improve kind of the base knowledge. Um, this has been a, a super interesting conversation, guys, and I, I really appreciate you coming on and helping to give um, both your backgrounds and, and an overview of Humata. Is, is there any kind of final takeaway you want to leave our listeners with? I'd say the one for me is to come and try it. I mean, we've had millions of people create an account and every time they come in, they say, whoa, like they, they are happily surprised with how well it works and for how many different use cases it has. And so to just come and give it a try and to see it for yourself is what I would say. Yeah. And like sharing your feedback, because for, for a lot of people, they're saying how much it's transformed their level of productivity and learning. And for us... Uh, learning those stories is not only really informative for our product roadmap, but uh, it helps us shape the product to be better and better every day. Yeah, and in my perspective is like, typically you, often I'm getting a document and being asked to be responsive to something and it is in, it, there's like, it's inside the document. And so I have my own, you know, have the PDF up and I'm like scanning through subheads and like trying to find my way to the relevant section to then get to the thing I need to then be responsive to something. And so it, it just clips out that workflow and gets you to the spot you need answering the question you need answered more quickly. Like that's the the very practical kind of, you know, it's like, what is the, how is gross margin defined in this 10K? You know, and are, are where does cost of good, like, are they including depreciation and cost of goods sold here? Uh, and, and, uh, cause sometimes companies do, uh, and, and like, so getting to that answer in a 10 K, you can either have be very conversant with it, uh, or you can try to like scan through it and like, you're trying to read the notes, um, or you can just ask the question and it gets you the answer and then shows you where it's derived from. So it gets you right into the document where you need to be. Uh, and gets you the answer directly so you can can understand the answer to your question. Uh, and so it just it clips out a lot of like other work you'd have to do and then gets you on with the actual meaningful like work that you're trying to do. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and we love it when people discover Humata as a brand new utility that didn't exist before because it's one thing to tell them you can now chat with all your documents and get the answer. And they're almost apoplectic and say, like, what, what do you mean by that? But when they start using it, their visceral reaction is like, almost like a, astonishment. Like, I'm, I'm actually chatting with my documents and I'm able to get answers that I can verify that are based on the data inside my document. So it's sort of like unlocking a new a superpower. Uh, so we're noticing that Humata is augmenting the way permanently how people uh, comprehend, learn, and do their work every day. And that that's what makes this very special because we're just at the beginning uh, 
of this revolution in the way people learn, educate themselves, grow, and get their work done every day. Awesome. I think that's a perfect place to end it. Thanks so much, Dan and Cyrus. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks, Brett. Brett. All right, thanks. ARC believes that the information presented is accurate and was obtained from sources that ARC believes to be reliable. However, ARC does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information, and such information may be subject to change without notice from ARC. Historical results are not indications of future results. Certain of the statements contained in this podcast may be statements of future expectations and other forward-looking statements that are based on ARC's current views and assumptions, and involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results, performance, or events to differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements.